Welcome back, Hemingway faces, to the Hemingway List podcast of excellence. Talking about war and peace. I'm back in my home studio today. You can probably tell by the sound quality being slightly different. I've been um, spending a lot of time at my partner's house. Um, we're probably going to, well, we are going to move in together very soon, which is exciting. But until then, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between her place and mine. And um, whenever I'm at her place, which is more often than not at the moment, um, I don't have all my, my gear, my podcasting equipment, my streaming equipment, all that stuff. So, um, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to say. The stream, <laughs> there's a link on every single day when I do this, there's a link that says War and Peace Daily Hangout Live Stream. And that was my intention on New Year's to do a daily hangout live stream. And I knew it wasn't going to be daily. My intention was most days um, with the odd, you know, sometimes I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I think I've streamed six times since the start of the year. (laughs) So I've really dropped the ball on that. Um, It's just because I've been bouncing around so much. We went away for a few days and I've been at my partner's house and then some of the days that I was here, it was like 40 degrees in my house. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to live stream with my shirt off. Like no one wants to see that. So yeah, it's just, um, hasn't really worked out the way I wanted it to. Um, but when things settle down a bit, you know, I'm going to aim for going daily. So I'm going to leave that link there and I'm going to maintain that it's a daily hangout, even though at the moment it's not even remotely daily. The other thing I want to say is that, um, oh, I've got a few things I want to say, sorry. This is one of those episodes where I do a little bit of admin before we start the chapter and I hope that doesn't bother you too much, uh, but these things are important. Here's the other th- important thing. Um, I am getting through about five chapters per week of my translation. Five chapters per week, I'm, I'm maintaining that. Yesterday I got through two chapters I managed to translate to, so that was a pretty good effort. Today I only did half a chapter, so you know swings and roundabouts but we're getting there and I'm I'm doing my best to keep up um uh what was oh man there was another thing I, oh yeah this is the other thing I wanted to say third and final thing that I wanted to say thank you to David uh who subscribed to the Patreon uh you guys who have subscribed to Patreon and support the podcast that means a lot David I appreciate you thanks for that my friend if anyone else out there would like to um, show their support for this project, patreon.com slash the Hemingway list is where you can do that. You can donate um, as little as $1 per month or as much as you want to sort of match your contribution to sort of what you feel like the uh, the value of this podcast is to you, I suppose is one way to think of it. All right, guys, let's talk about book two, chapter one. Thanks for bearing with me there while I spoke about you know, admin things. <laughs> um, things should sync up again here because we should all be on book two, chapter one. Some versions will say part two, chapter one. Others will say book two, chapter one. But either way, it's chapter one. So that's nice. That kind of settles my OCD that we're all on the same page, so to speak. Big change of scenery too at the start of book two, chapter one. The regiment commander seems to blow up over tiny things, like one uniform being the wrong colour. Does he seem like a good or bad leader? And what did you think of Dolokhov standing up for himself? I love Dolokhov. I think he's one of my favourite characters. Um, 
Ripster66 says, I love the whole communication snafu of what the soldiers should be wearing for the review. It was quite humorous to read how the commanders were so proud of themselves for getting the soldiers all cleaned up after such a long march, only to find out that was the exact opposite of what was wanted. Hilarity ensues as the rank and file quickly change. It felt very like, much like playing dress up and not like soldiers preparing for war. Talking back to a superior, I can't imagine that's acceptable, but it seemed to actually work. Is this an example of social hierarchy clashing with military hierarchy? It seems Dolokhov was recently demoted, which was why his coat was the wrong colour, so maybe he's still seen as an officer. Was Dolokhov demoted because of the bear incident? Am I remembering that right? Um, Yeah, it's funny that that worked, but I guess he has a point. It's almost like... you know, he got him on a little HR technicality of like, you know, um, I'm, what does he say? Something like, I I am um, committed, not committed, um, like I'm bound to obey your orders. What's the word I'm looking for? Like I have to obey your orders, but I don't have to put up with your insults is basically what he says to him. Um, Mr. Churapaka says, trying to pass the vague wording from your boss is just as relatable now as it was in the 19th century in Russia. All the officers are debating what does he mean by on the march. Lol. I also enjoyed the game of telephone as orders were relayed down the lines to the captain of, captain of the third company into until the wording became almost nonsensical. They haven't quite nailed down the whole communication thing yet, have they? Yeah, that's funny that that is almost like a mini version of what happened with the overall order of having them present in their marching um, condition on the march and then yeah we see a little mini version of that um, telephones Chinese whispers as we used to call it Um, yeah we see that play out it's kind of like the theme of that chapter isn't it I couldn't help but think says Mr. Chirapaka Uh, That one episode of The Office where Charles tells Jim to send him a rundown by the end of the day and Jim spends the entire day trying to figure out what a rundown is. (laughs) Oh, God, that's pretty good. Um, Okay, what else? Few thoughts. Right out of the gate, says Warren Kvofififi. By the way, Warren Kvofififi. My brother texted me. My brother listens to the podcast. Hi, Mick, if you're listening. Um, to tell me what your username is referring to, that Kovfifi is um, a reference to a Donald Trump tweet where he said something about getting a Kovfifi, um, which I still don't get, <laughs> even though he's explained what it's a reference to. I still don't understand what the tweet was about, but um, there you go. I now understand what I'm saying every day when I read your name, so that's cool. Um a few thoughts right out of the gate. I couldn't imagine walking from Russia to Austria. The idea of covering such distances by foot is mind-numbing to me. But then I remember that this was common practice for so long. I thought this was one of the funnier chapters so far, mostly because of the regiment commander, whose reactions were almost cartoonish for me. I could see his jaw hit the ground when told that they were expecting expecting in their marching uniforms. I could see the steam coming out of his red face as he's berating the troops over every imperfection he came across. I would say that his commander seems to be a good leader because of how much he seems to take pride in his job. 
I'm a little curious, though, that maybe he might be a little too forgiving. I can't believe that he allowed Dolokhov to speak back to him in that manner, especially in front of all the other men. That is surprising, isn't it? I think Dolokhov is a little pompous in this chapter. I'm sure he doesn't like his newly demoted position, but speaking back to the general in that manner was pretty outlandish and disrespectful of him. I think he's lucky that he didn't get a severe punishment. Maybe that's in store after the commander's review. There we go. Good point. I really enjoyed, says McDoug, how abruptly the scenery changed to the war here, but that was war, but that the war still isn't real to even the soldiers in the ranks. It doesn't indicate they've seen any battle. Military commander so far feels, sorry, so far seems a lot more interested in how he's perceived by others than anything else. Um, oh yeah, another thing I wanted to say about this chapter is, um, so this chapter, chapter two, uh, sorry, book two, chapter one was one of the early chapters that I wrote in this translation project. So it was probably maybe the third or fourth one that I did, if memory serves. Um, so I did like book one, chapter one, book one, chapter two, book one, you know, did those. And then for some reason I skipped forward to this one and then went back and kept doing book one. Now, when I published book one, I went back and I tidied up all of them, but especially the first few chapters, because the first few chapters of book one, I hadn't quite found my rhythm or like sort of set the rules in my mind of how I wanted to do the translating, if that makes sense. So they took quite a lot of tidying up. But because this one wasn't part of that book, I never went back and did that yet. So when I read um, yesterday's chapter, book two, chapter one, I really felt like it was a bit a bit subpar, and I wonder if anyone else noticed that the that it wasn't quite as good as the other ones I've done, at least by my own personal standards. Um, so that's all I've got to say. And that's the reason that that happened. So I think though, but book two, chapter two was done after I did all of book one, so it should go back to being consistent with the other ones. But Nackers said this, I was starting to hope we'd see Dolokhov again. I enjoyed the effort that was put into making the scenery feel real. It wasn't too much, but it was perfectly effective. To give my mind's eye a fresh perspective, oops, really looking forward to seeing some more of our familiar characters so out of place. I keep, um, I keep hitting my microphone. That's not smart. I finally caught up, says dinosaurs lay eggs. Uh, I can't remember much from the war chapters the last time I got this far, but I remember not enjoying them much. I'm taking it a little more slowly this time in the hopes that I understand it better. Hopefully my uh, translation will help you with that as well, because I found a lot in so far in doing book two chapter, uh, book two, I should say. Um, I've done the first 18 chapters of it now. Um, there's a lot where I had to sort of like figure out what it meant because just reading over it, a lot of it kind of goes over your head and you, I don't know, you end up just sort of scratching your head, not knowing exactly what you've just read. And um, so what I've been doing is comparing different versions and even asking other people if they can offer any insight. And um, yeah, that's been helpful. And then what I try to do is write the most clear version of all of them. That's my goal. I really want my version to be the one where you can read it and nothing goes over your head. It all kind of makes sense. All right. I think now we should read the next one. Book two, chapter two. It goes like this. Chapter two. 
He's coming, shouted the signaller at that moment. The regimental commander, going all red, ran to his horse, grabbed the stirrup with trembling hands, threw his body across the saddle, sat up straight, drew his saber, and with a happy and resolute expression, opened his mouth and prepared to shout. The regiment fluttered like a bird, pressing its plumage, and then fell silent. Attention, shouted the regimental commander in a soul-shaking voice, which he seemed quite chuffed with, as it expressed both severity for the regiment and welcome for the approaching chief. Along the wide country road with trees lining its either side came a tall Viennese caliche, light blue in colour, creaking on its springs and drawn by six horses at a fair trot. Behind the caliche galloped the suite and a convoy of Croats. Beside Kutuzov sat an Austrian general in a white uniform that stood out like a sore thumb among the Russian black uniforms. The caliche stopped in front of the regiment. Kutuzov and the Austrian general were talking in low voices. Kutuzov smiled slightly as he stepped heavily down from the carriage, as cool as a cucumber, as if there weren't 2,000 men breathlessly staring at him and the regimental commander. The word of command rang out, and again the regiment quivered as with a jingling sound it presented arms. Dead silence followed, broken by the feeble voice of the commander-in-chief. The regiment roared, Health to your excellency, and again all went silent. At first Kutasov didn't move while the regiment moved, then he and and general in white and the general in white okay I'm editing on the flight then he and the general in white accompanied by the suit suite sorry walked between the ranks it was obvious that the regimental commander was an absolute kick ass kiss ass sorry it was obvious that the regimental commander was an absolute kiss ass you could tell by the way he saluted the commander in chief and watched him as if a schoolboy crush and from the way he followed him through the ranks, bending forward and walking jerkily as if unable to control his movements, and from the way he leapfrogged at the big dog's every word, or sorry, and from the way he leaped forward at the, and from the way he leapt forward at the big dog's every word or gesture, the man seemed to be far better with his ass-kissing duties than his commander duties. Thanks to the strictness and diligence of its commander, the regiment was in tip-top condition compared to the others that had reached Brunau by then. There were only 217 sick and stragglers. 217, sorry, just correcting that as I go. Everything was up to scratch except the boots. Kutuzov perused the ranks, doing the occasional friendly stop and chat with officers he had known in the Turkish war, sometimes also with soldiers. A few times he shook his head sadly, looking at the state of the soldiers' boots, pointing them out to the Austrian general with an expression that seemed to say, I'm not blaming anyone, but look how fucked these boots are. Every time Kutuzov spoke, the regimental commander sprung forward, not wanting to miss a single word the commander-in-chief said about the regiment. A suite of twenty of Kutuzov's men followed close behind him, close enough to hear every softly spoken word he said. They chit-chatted amongst themselves, laughing sometimes. The guy nearest to the commander-in-chief was a good-looking adjutant. This was Prince Bolkonsky. Next to him was his comrade, 
Nezvitsky, a tall staff officer, as stout as a brick shitter and with a friendly, handsome face and moist eyes. Nezvitsky was struggling not to laugh at the swarthy hussar officer walking beside him, who, with a straight face, was taking the piss out of the regimental commander's every movement. Every time the commander started and bent forward, the hussar started and bent forward, mimicking his exact manner. Nezvitsky laughed and nudged the others as if to say, Oi, get a load of this cheeky bastard. Kutuzov walked lazily past thousands of eyes, which were all but popping out of their sockets to watch the chief. When he reached the third company, he stopped unexpectedly, his suite nearly bumping into him. Hey, Timokin, he said, recognising the red-nosed captain who'd been reprimanded on account of the whole blue-grey coat thing. You'd think it'd be impossible for a man to stretch himself taller than Timokin had done when he'd been reprimanded by the regimental commander, but now that the big dog was giving him a sniff, he drew himself up to such a height that it seemed he could have couldn't have sustained it if the sniff went on much longer. And so Kutuzov, who apparently understood the man's case and wished him nothing but good, quickly turned away, a tiny smile flitting across his scarred and puffy face. Another Ismail comrade, said he, a brave officer. Are you satisfied with him? he asked the regimental commander. And the latter, unaware that he was being reflected in the hussar officer as in a mirror, jumped forward and burst out, Yes, Your Excellency, highly satisfied. Even though he's an alcoholic, said Kutuzov, smiling and walking away from him. Suppose we all have our weaknesses. The regimental commander couldn't stand the big dog sniffing him like this and started pissing his dax that he might cop the blame for Timokin's alcoholism. The hussar at that moment saw the red-nosed captain's terror and his drawn-in stomach and began a spot-on impression of him so good that Nezvitsky couldn't help laughing. Kutuzov turned around. The officer evidently had bloody excellent control of his face, managing to quickly assume a serious, respectful and innocent expression as Kutuzov turned. The third company was the last, and Kutuzov pondered, apparently trying to remember something. Prince André stepped forward from among the suite and said in French, You told me to remind you about the officer Dolokhov, reduced to the ranks in this regiment. Where is Dolokhov? asked Kutuzov. Dolokhov, who had already changed into a soldier's great coat, did not wait to be called. The shapely figure of the sandy-haired soldier, with his clear blue eyes, stepped forward from the ranks, went up to the commander-in-chief and presented arms. "'Do you have a complaint to make?' Kutuzov asked with a slight frown. "'This is Dolokhov,' said Prince Andrew. "'Oh,' said Kutuzov, I hope this has been a lesson to you. Do your duty. The Emperor is a decent guy, and I won't forget you if you deserve well. The clear blue eyes looked at the commander-in-chief just as boldly as they'd looked at the regimental commander, seeming, by their expression, to tear open the veil of convention that separates a commander-in-chief so massively from a private. One thing I ask of your excellency, Dolokhov said in his firm, ringing, deliberate voice, I just want an opportunity to make amends for my screw-up and prove my devotion to His Majesty, the Emperor, and to Russia. Kutuzov turned away. The same tiny smile with which he had turned from Captain Timokin flitted over his face again. He turned away with a grimace, as if to say that he was bored with all the predictable crap Dolokhov was saying and headed to the carriage. He turned away twice there. Is that what happens? 
making a note of that. Um, the regiment broke up into companies, which went to their appointed quarters near Brunel, where they hoped to get some new boots and clothes and to rest after their exhausting marches. You won't hold that against me, Prokhor Ignatich, said the regimental commander, overtaking the third company, which was heading to its quarters and catching up to Captain Timokin, who was walking in front. Now that the inspection was over, the regimental commander allowed himself a smile of irrepressible delight. It's in the Emperor's service, couldn't be helped. I get all flustered on parade. I am the first to apologise, you know me. He was pretty happy, though. And he held out his hand to the captain. Come on, General, as if I'd hold a grudge. Don't worry about it, replied the captain, his nose getting redder as he gave a smile which showed where two front teeth were missing that had been knocked out by the butt end of a gun in Ismail. And tell Mr. Dolokhov that I won't forget him. He can take it easy. And by the way, I was meaning to ask, how is he behaving himself in general? As far as the service goes, he's a good soldier, Your Excellency. But his personality? said Timokin. What about his personality? asked the regimental commander. It's different on different days, answered the captain. One day he's sensible, well-educated, and decidedly not a maniac, and then the next is a wild animal. In Poland, if you don't mind, he nearly killed a Jew. Bloody hell, remarked the regimental commander. Still, suppose we should have pity on a young man who's down on his luck. You know he has important connections. Well, then, you just... I will, Your Excellency, said Timokin, showing by his smile that he understood the commander's wish. Yep, of course, of course. The regimental commander went looking for Dolokhov in the ranks, and, reining his horse, said to him, After the next affair, epaulets. Dolokhov looked around, but didn't say anything, and the mocking smile on his lips remained. Very good, then, continued the regimental commander. A cup of vodka for the men, from me, he added, so that the soldiers could hear. I thank you all. God be praised. And he rode past the company and overtook the next one. He's a decent bloke, I can serve under him, said, Dimo said Timokin to the subaltern beside him. In a word, a hearty one, said the subaltern laughing. The regimental commander was nicknamed King of Hearts. The cheerful mood of their officers after the inspection infected the soldiers. The company marched on happily. The soldiers' voices could be heard on every side. And they reckoned Kutuzov was blind in one eye. Yep, he is, half blind. Nah, mate, he's got sharper eyes than you. Boots, leg bands, he noticed everything. Mate, when he looked at my feet, well, I reckon. And that other one with him, the Austrian, looked like he'd been smeared with chalk, white as a bloody, white as bloody flower. I guess they polish him up like that, like a gun. Oi, Fedishin, did he say when the battle will start? You were near him. Everyone reckons Bonaparte himself was at Brunau. Bonaparte himself listened to this idiot. What does he know? The Prussians are up in arms now. The Austrians, you see, are putting them down. When they've been put down, the war with Bonaparte will start, and he reckons Bonaparte is in Brunau. Shows what an idiot you are. You should get your bloody ears checked. What devils these quartermasters are. Look at that. The 5th Company is turning into the village already. They'll have their buckwheat cooked and ready before we even reach our quarters. Oh, you give us a bicky, you bastard. And didn't you give me tobacco yesterday? That's just it, mate. Ah, well, whatever. Here you go. 
They might call a halt here, or we'll be walking another four miles before we can eat. How good was it when those Germans gave us a lift? You just sit there and get drawn along. And here, mate, the people are a bit on the beggarly side. There, they have... They all seem to be Poles, all under the Russian crown, but here, they're all regular Germans. Singers, to the front, came the captain's order. And from the different ranks, probably twenty men ran to the front. Their leader, a drummer, turned round to face the singers, and flourishing his arm, started a long-drawn-out soldier's song, which started with the words, Morning dawned, the sun was rising, and ended with, On them, brothers, on to glory, led by Father Kamensky. This song had been composed in the Turkish campaign, and now that it was being sung in Austria, they simply changed the words, Father Kamensky, to Father Kutuzov. Having blasted out the last words in the way soldiers do and waved his arms as if flicking something to the ground, the drummer, scrawny, good-looking soldier of forty, looked sternly at the singers and screwed up his eyes. Then, once he was sure all eyes were on him, he lifted both arms up and, as if raising some delicate artifact above his head, held it there for some seconds and suddenly slammed it down and began, Oh, my bower, oh, my bower. Oh, my bower knew, chimed twenty voices, and the bloke... On the cassonette, even with all his annoying gear, rushed out to the front and walking backwards in front of the company jerked his shoulders and flourished his cassonettes as if threatening to trolley-pole someone. The soldiers, swinging their arms and keeping time spontaneously, marched with long steps. From behind the company came the sounds of wheels, the creaking of springs and the tramp of horse hooves. Kutuzov and his suite were heading back to the town. The commander-in-chief signalled that the fellows should continue the march at ease and you could see that he and the guy in his suite were all enjoying the sound of the singing and the sight of the dancing soldier and the chipper and smartly marching men. In the second line, across from the right flank, next to where the carriage went past them, a blue-eyed soldier accidentally drew attention to himself. It was Dolokhov, marching in time to the song with particular grace and swagger. God, he was cool, and looking at those whole... and looking at those who were driving past in the carriage as if he pitied anyone who wasn't at that moment able to get well into marching. The hussar cornet of Kutuzov's suite had taken the piss out of the regimental commander, fell back from the carriage and rode up to Dolokhov. Hussar cornet Zerkov used to hang out with Dolokhov and his band of merry assholes back in Petersburg. Zerkov had met Dolokhov overseas as a private, but snubbed him, big time, pretending not to recognise him. But now that Big Dog, Dog Kutuzov had spoken to the gentleman ranker, he all of a sudden, Zerkov, did recognise him, and addressed him as if they were old chums. "'Hey, buddy, how are you?' said he, through the singing, making his horse keep pace with the company. "'How am I?' Dolokhov answered spitefully. "'I am what you see.' The lively song really emphasised the free and easy tone. I'm going to change that. How do I look like I am? There you go. How am I? How do I look like I am? The lively song really emphasised the free and easy tone that Zerkov spoke in and the intentional bitchiness of Dolokhov's reply. And how are you getting along with the officers? inquired Zerkov. Not bad. They're decent fellows. And how have you wriggled onto the staff? I was attached. I'm on duty. Both were silent. 
She let the hawk fly upward from her wide right sleeve, went the song, making all the men feel brave and cheerful. Their conversation might have had a very different tone if it weren't for the effect of that song. Is it true that the Austrians have been beaten? asked Dolokhov. Bugger if I know. They reckon, yeah. Good, answered Dolokhov, clearly, as the song demanded. Oi, you should come round some evening and we'll have a game of faro, said Zerkov. Why, do you have too much money? Oh, come on. Can't, mate, I've sworn not to. No drinking and no gambling until I get reinstated. What, so until the first engagement? We'll see, eh? They were silent again. Come by anyway if you need anything. One can at least be of use on the staff. Dolokhov smiled. Don't bother. If I want anything, I won't beg. I'll take it. Eh, whatever, I only... And I only. Goodbye. Cheers. It's a long, long way to my native land, went the song. Zerkov touched his horse with his spurs. It pranced all giddy from foot to foot, not sure with which to start, then settled down, galloped past the company, fanged it past the carriage, all the while keeping time to the song. All right, there we go. Another chapter for you. These chapters just put you in the deep end with all this military stuff. It's a bit hard to follow, but stick with it. Stick with it. I promise you it'll be worth it when it all clicks into place. Promise you. All right, thanks for listening, guys. See you tomorrow.